We are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Good to see you. Um, we're going to be talking about singleness and community this morning. So that's, that's the plan. And just to set this in context, Chris started us off a few weeks ago looking at God's design for sex and relationship. I looked last week with you at gender and sexuality. Today we're looking at singleness and how we can be a community that welcomes single people. And then next week we'll be finishing off with becoming a welcoming church. That will kind of carry on a little bit what we're looking at today. So I'm going to be taking us through a little bit of sort of the the sort of what the Bible says about singleness, right, from the sort of start through to the New Testament. Um, Sandy, who's already been welcomed into membership, I, I did a little interview with her a week ago, so we've got a, a video of her part of the way through, talking about what it's like to be a single person in church. And finally, we're going to be just talking about what does it actually mean, what does it look like in a church community to to welcome uh, single people in particular. Again, it's a, it's a sensitive subject. I'm sorry if I offend in any way the words that I use. And I know if you're a single person here today, it can be hard to hear a married person talking on this subject. I certainly want to see more single people prominent in this church. If you're a single person, I hope this morning encourages you. If you're married, please don't turn off. I'd like you to listen even harder because you are an essential part of how to make this church a welcoming place for single people. So, as I've said, I'm an elder in this church. Um, I've been here about 10 years. My wife, Jean, and I got married about 10 years ago. But what you probably don't realise is that I, um, I, was, I was a single person, a single adult in, um, in other churches for 20 years before I came here. So if you knew me in previous churches, I would have been like one of the single guys. Uh, I know what it's like to be kind of going into your 30s as a single person. Um, and I had, you know, had some good times and we had like 20s group, but I also knew what it was like then to be kind of in your 30s and then, oh, I can't go to the 20s group anymore. That was hard. Um, <laughs> Because of my, I little, touched a little bit last week on having some same-sex attractions, and actually through my 20s and most of my 30s, I didn't know whether marriage was an option for me. So I've definitely wrestled with the prospect of being single my whole life. And this personal experience and also my work, uh, working with a lot of celibate single people, has made, given me a real heart for including single people in our church communities. So... Let's have a little look at just some introductory um, points on who, is, who are the single people in the church in this country. Well, first of all, in our society, 40% of adults are single. Lots of people are single. And I'd just like to talk a little bit about... Um, I mean, some people are happily single, but I want to talk a little bit about some categories of people for whom singleness might not be their preference. Firstly, those who would like to marry. There are many in the church who would like to get married, but it's just not worked out. And this can be very painful. For some, 
there might have been non-Christians for whom marriage, you know, for whom they might have been able to get married, but they've decided, no, I need to, I need to wait for to get married to a Christian, and it might be that they're lifelong single. So that's one type of person. I talked last week a little bit about people who have exclusively same-sex attractions, and the Bible says, well, marriage, sex is for the marriage of one man and one woman. So for these people, and I work with a lot of these people in, in my work, and they're called to a life of celibacy, and that's tough. Where we are a deeply meaningful family for them beyond just meeting on a Sunday. Other people are maybe called to a mission um, where marriage, being married is just not going to be practical. Um, we'll look at Paul later as he writes in 1 Corinthians 7. And he, and he writes, an unmarried person is actually able to be fully concerned about the Lord's affairs without having their attention divided. And Paul would have been a primary example of that. Other people who are single in our church would be people who have been married but have been widowed. Um, they have maybe, a, as well as divorced people, and they've got this particular challenge of, of having kind of split up their responsibilities in a household and then having to adjust back to being single again after being married. Also, for divorced people, there can be a particular fear as they come to church of being judged for, um, because of being divorced. I would just want to say, whatever your reason may be for being single, you are very, very welcome in our church. My old boss used to say, well, actually, no, no Christian is truly single, maybe in, our, in the way that we use it in our society. But as um, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12, we're all baptised by one spirit into one body. So in a way, yes, single in terms of marital status, but in terms of relationships, which we want to look at today, um, we, we are one body, we are family together. So that's a little bit by way of introduction. And what I'd like to do today is kind of explore this question. Is, is the Bible positive about singleness? And you might just say, well, yes, of course it is. But it's not quite so simple. Um, how does the Bible get from the start where in Genesis 1.28, God says to Adam, be fruitful and multiply to where he gets to, to the New Testament, where Paul's talking about, I, I wish that all people were unmarried as I am. How, how do we kind of get from one to the, to the next? And that's what I want to kind of explore a little bit to start with. Um, firstly, the Bible never actually uses the word single in terms of marital status. It uses the word unmarried. In the Old Testament, we'll start off by looking at that. It's almost silent on singleness. It focuses on the goodness of marriage and children. And of course, marriage and children are good. Um, like we, we talked, we can see that verse there in Genesis 1, the first chapter of the Bible, God instructs Adam and Eve to be fruitful and increase in number. In the next chapter, Genesis 2, God's verdict, when just only Adam's been created, it's, it's not good for, for man to be alone. And the whole book of Genesis, we might think of Genesis being all about like origins and creation, but actually, if you look at it, it's, it's a whole loads of list of genealogies. It's all about, you know, so-and-so is the son of so-and-so, and it's kind of all about generations, and it's all um, preoccupied with genealogies. But unlike 
what we looked at last week, sexuality and gender, it's just kind of really consistent through the Bible. There is some movement as we go through the Bible on singleness, a bit of a trajectory. Let's start off by looking at the place of singleness in the Old Testament. So we looked at Genesis. Do you remember uh, about this time last year, we were working through as a church the book of Genesis. And in Genesis 12, the Lord appears to Abraham, who becomes Abraham, and he says, to your offspring, I will give this land. So there's kind of the promise of land and offspring. It's very much part of these foundational promises in the Old Testament that God promises offspring. Fruitfulness in the land and descendants was key to these original promises to Abraham. And then in Deuteronomy 28, again, these early, cha- early books in the Bible, um, Moses expands upon God's promises that blessing will come through land, livestock, and children. So there's kind of this preoccupation with material blessings and, and family and children. So, there we go, I'll skip over that one. To start our trajectory of singleness, um, when we look at the old covenant, as in the promises given to Abraham and Moses and, and other uh, leaders, to God's people in the Old Testament, um, the, the old covenant's just full of these long lists of X was the son of Y and so, and so on. Singleness was really exceptional. You can think of occasional people like Jeremiah who were kind of called to a prophetic singleness, but it's kind of very exceptional. Um, so the, the starting point of our trajectory doesn't look particularly positive about singleness. And under the old covenant, it's all about fruitfulness, growth, possessing the land. But what, what happens when we get to the New Testament and the new covenant under Christ? Well, we're going to go back to that verse we've just looked at and see what the New Testament's got to say about it. So there we go. There's the verse and the plain meaning of it. And of course, this is part of the meaning is, yes, you will be fruitful, you'll have children, and um, to your offspring I'll bring this land. But when Paul, to the church in Galatia, teaches on this verse, he says, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his offspring. Scripture does not say, and to offsprings, plural, meaning many people, but and to your offspring, singular, meaning one person who is Christ. Um, Sometimes I get a bit confused with Paul's kind of sentence uh, structure and punctuation, but what he's kind of saying is um, there's a a fulfillment in this promise to Abraham in the one person of Christ. All of that, um, all those genealogies, all of that kind of trajectory of uh, be fruitful, multiply, fill, fill the earth, take the land. It's, it's all kind of finding completion in Jesus Christ. So by being fruitful and multiplying, God's people, uh, they did the greatest work, arguably, of the Jewish people was to keep the line going all the way from Adam to Christ and The genealogy, to end all genealogies, is found in the first chapter of the New Testament, which traces the line of the offspring from Adam all the way through the generations to 
Jesus Christ, that work is complete. And actually, after that genealogy, right at the start of Gospels in the New Testament, actually, every other reference in the New Testament to genealogies, to this kind of son of X and Y and so on, it's all negative. For example, in Titus 3.9, Paul writes, avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law. They're unprofitable and useless. It's kind of, you know, the genealogy stuff is all done now. Jesus Christ has come. That's, that's finished. Let's, let's, let's move on. So that's something of the New Testament, looking back on the Old Testament promises. But what does the, what does the New Testament have directly to say about singleness, we might ask? So Paul, a classic passage on, on singleness and marriage is found halfway through Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. Paul is writing himself as a single man about marriage and singleness. He says, I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. And, it, and, and the next few verses say very similar things about women. Now, we have to be careful with the book of 1 Corinthians because it was written into a particular pastoral context uh, in Corinth. But Paul here seems to be unreservedly positive about singleness, doesn't he? He didn't live in Corinth, in the city of Corinth, but he was living proof himself that an unmarried person can live in undivided service to the Lord. I wonder for a moment if you can imagine what the Apostle Paul's marriage might have been like. His wife might have said, oh, hello dear, I haven't seen you for a year. And then Paul might say, well, yeah, I got mobbed in Ephesus and, you know, there was, I got stuck in prison for a while and there was shipwrecked yet again. And, uh, but, you know, I brought you back this, this souvenir from Corinth. Um, it wouldn't have been a great marriage, would it? Um, surely it was better for, for, for Paul, that, for his ministry, that he was a single man. And that's what he's saying, that not, not everyone is called to this, but it's, it's a great calling and uh, it does give you that undivided focus. So while we're, while we're there, let's talk about some positive things. We'll, we'll move on to some challenges later on, but some positives that Paul's highlighted here. The undivided service. You may live in a right way, an undivided devotion to the Lord. You can also, as a single person, you can be more flexible. You're less kind of uh, divided and you put some more time often. I notice in my work, because a lot of my co-workers and people working in similar ministries are single, and they can just keep on top of all the reading and stuff in a way that I just can't do. Um, attending to meet, work meetings out of, hour, that, that, out of hours, that, that greater flexibility, it's a real boon for, you know, for, for ministry. So we've looked a little bit about the trajectory and the um, uh, Paul, what does Jesus say about singleness? Well, a few points. So Jesus talking about ancestry. We looked at this uh, passage on uh, John chapter 3 about Nicodemus. Jesus talking with Nicodemus, do you remember, back in June 2020. And Jesus replied to Nicodemus, very truly, I tell you, 
No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And Jesus is talking about kind of how do we, you know, how do we kind of become part of God's family? And you can imagine Nicodemus as a, you know, a Pharisee. I'm sure he had impeccable lineage and ancestry. He would have kind of had all the great, the, the correct genealogies. But Jesus says, spiritual standing and belonging doesn't come from your earthly ancestry. It comes from being adopted into God's family. So what this is saying is that spiritually, you know, having children is, is, is great, but spiritually we no longer need our own offspring. Belonging to God's family comes from spiritual adoption. So that's the first point I wanted to highlight from Jesus. And then a few things on family. Uh, we looked at the book of Mark last term. We're going to be carrying that on next week. Do you remember chapter 3 when Jesus is standing, well, he's, he's, he's sitting, I think, yeah, um, he's, he's responding to someone coming and saying, hey, Jesus, you know, your, your mother and your brothers are outside waiting for you. And this is his response. Jesus looked at those seated in the circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. He's not being disrespectful to his blood family, but he's saying, he's saying, he's saying that family is important. He's just expanding our view of family. He's saying when we become a Christian, our concept of family expands to include um, more than just our blood relations, but the whole church family. And our fellow believers, he's saying, our church family is to be just as close um, as our family. You think, might think, well, that's pretty radical, but he goes even further. Um, we're going to be looking at Mark 10 next week and um, touching on these verses again, but this is um, Jesus talking a little bit about the cost of following him. Let's have a look at what Jesus has to say about those who've given up relationships in this life. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last, and the last first. So Jesus is realistic here about the costs of following him, but he promises everyone, single or married, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children. He's not saying, join the church and I'll find you a spouse. He's saying, join the church and we will be your new brothers, sisters, mothers, and children. We, the church, are the believer's family. So let's be careful when we use that word, family. Let's use it inclusively, not just referring to our own nuclear family units. Our culture equates sex with intimacy, doesn't it? It's like, oh, if you're not having sex, then you can't have intimacy. But we need to be a community where people can build such a depth of friendship that that's that satisfies that thirst that we all have for intimacy. God said to, about Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. I don't believe he was saying that everyone needs to be sexually active, but he was saying that 
we all need a depth of relationship. Anna came and shared a little bit of her testimony last week, if you remember, and um, she's part of my the sort of support group that I run in Guildford, and I, I asked them, and they're mainly single people, and I said, what is it that you really miss about being single? And it, it wasn't actually about sexual uh, activity, it was just missing real companionship. That's the thing that they really miss. So let's summarise where we've got to with our uh, looking at the New Testament. The new covenant, that's the set of promises that we as Christians live uh, under today. So firstly, singleness under the new covenant is no longer an indication of God's withheld blessing. I don't know if you've looked at the book of Ruth, but do you remember Naomi? It's just like, she's so sad, she's lost her husband and... Um, she just feels really kind of condemned. That's just not the case anymore. Um, the, the new covenant is, is positive about singleness. Singleness, secondly, is a high calling, at least on a par with marriage. And if you look at what Paul's got to say, it's like, oh, it's maybe even, even kind of greater than marriage. Thirdly, church is to be the family for single people in particular. So there's a few things about what the new, so where singleness has got to in the new covenant. So let's have a look at our trajectory. Uh, our question, is the Bible positive about singleness? That's, that was our question, wasn't it? Um, this is the rest of the table. Do you remember we said, really under the old covenant, there wasn't a lot of positive stuff about singleness. It was all about marriage. When we, when we get to the new covenant, which is where we live now, the Bible is really, the New Testament is really positive about singleness and positive about marriage. Um, what's quite interesting is that um, when Jesus is asked about you know, some technicality about um, who am I going to be married to in heaven, this is what Jesus says, when the dead rise, i.e. when Christians uh, move on to the next life, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They'll be like the angels in heaven. We together as the church will be united with Jesus, the bridegroom, at the wedding of the Lamb. And you could, we can kind of get some hints about that in Revelation 19. But that's the great marriage. That's the marriage that all earthly marriages point to. And we're all going to be part of that. Collectively, we're going to be united with Jesus. We're not going to be having what we know as marriage in heaven. So single people in this life point to, in their waiting and anticipation, like someone getting ready for a marriage, they point to that great fulfilment in the life to come. Married people in their faithfulness also point to that. So everyone, we point to that, uh, that great union with Jesus in the life to come. So under new creation, yeah, singleness is, it's kind of, in some ways, you know, we're, we're all going to be married to Jesus, but there's not going to be earthly marriage in heaven. So there's kind of quite a shift, isn't there, in how the Bible moves on this. So as I said um, Sandy, I, had a, I interviewed Sandy about singleness uh, earlier, so we're going to move on to just hearing what she's got to say uh, about her experience now. Sandy, thank you very much for sharing with us today. 
Can you just tell us a little bit, have you been single all your life and what have been the particular challenges in that? Yes, I've been single all my life and the main issues I want to talk about is loneliness. It is hard to come home to an empty house, particularly in winter when it's dark and the evenings are longer. Having to prepare my own meal and eat it by myself, then spend the evening alone is not easy unless I've organised to go out somewhere or have someone back to my place. Weekends are especially difficult, finding ways to fill both days. I miss having someone at home to talk to about my day or any problems I might have. Doing everything by myself and for myself, such as shopping, decorating, paying bills and making decisions about all aspects of my life is hard. I love going on holiday and have been away on my own on various occasions, but I would much prefer to go with others, to share all that we do together. Thank you. Now, I know you've had some periods of, of being invited round to be part of particular families within churches. Can you tell us what that looked like in practice, please? Mm. In the past, I had been part of several families in the church who I joined on a regular basis for meals, babysitting and taking children to activities. They supported me through difficult times, such as the death of my mum and a close friend, and I helped them out as well. One family moved away and I used to go and stay with them for holidays. It has been lovely to watch the children grow up and make lives of their own. There is one couple I have been friends with for many years and I have my own space in their home, staying overnight and spending almost two days with them every week. I was in their bubble during COVID restrictions, which was good. Thank you. And how can churches be more inclusive for single people, particularly single people who are a bit older? Some churches I have attended or know of put up two lists for people to sign, either for them to give a Sunday lunch or for them to join a family on a Sunday lunch. And, there are two, and these two are brought together. Church weekends away for all members of the church who are interested are a helpful way of getting to know one another better through Bible study, prayer, eating together, fun and games. Some people who are disabled, elderly or cannot drive would appreciate a rota of people who, who will enable them to get to church and other midweek meetings. During COVID restrictions, groups were set up to help people who were struggling with shopping getting prescriptions, talking to someone if they were upset or lonely, and so on. All they had to do was call a certain number and the message would be passed on to those that could help. It would be lovely if churches could do something similar the whole year round. On special occasions of the year, single people would appreciate someone to join the day with them, such as Christmas, birthdays, and maybe to be invited round to join a family and celebrate together. One church I attended had a group for single women over 30 to have a regular meal together and other activities. I enjoyed that. In closing, maybe some of the things I've suggested could be discussed in our life groups and at leadership level. That's all I have to say for now, but I hope it's been helpful. That's been really helpful, Sandy. Thank you so much for sharing today.
very much, Sandy, for your courage uh, in sharing that personal stuff. And, yeah, some great, really, really sort of practical points there. I'm going to um, just touch on a few of those challenges uh, which you've already mentioned. So here's a few challenges, not all of them, but these are some of the challenges that single people face. Um, Sandy's already mentioned loneliness. Um, facing challenges alone, particularly those times of illness or struggling with mental health or um, getting older, um, having to do that alone is hard. For some people in particular, the lack of children is, is, is a painful thing. Um, no practical help. We don't all have all the skills, do we, for kind of DIY or finances or taking stuff to the tip. Um, so just, just kind of struggling to do everything in the, in the household is hard. Um, I'll talk about actually including people, including single people with hospitality in a minute, but this is actually offering hospitality. Often single people live in smaller places and it can be hard to then invite a family around because you, know, you kind of just don't have the space or all the chairs or that sort of thing. And our, isn't our society just so geared towards couples and families? All the two-for-one offers, all the hotel rooms where you pay a premium for a single bed, um, holidays that are priced just for, for couples, really. It's hard, isn't it, um, to, to kind of manage those things when society's sort of not really accommodating for you. And then Sandy's mentioned certain dates. I know that people at True Freedom Trust really struggle with things like Valentine's Day or Christmas or just the holiday season in the summer, going to weddings. All of these things can be difficult. Coming to church, that can be hard. Um, it can feel quite focused on family units. People can, can feel judged for being single. And social media, all these pictures of apparently perfect families. Trust me, they're not. Um, so just, just a, a call for all of us, just to be considerate when we post. How, does this, how is this going to make other people feel when we put these pictures up? And if you, if you were here last week, do you remember Anna? Uh, she answered quite honestly about what she thought about singleness, and she just said in her unique way, well, it sucks. Um, I, I don't think that was her last word on it, but let's not be a church where it sucks to be single here. So let's, let's look at some more practical things about how we, as a whole church family, can love and include single people. So let's include single people in our lives in a long-term way, um, either just approaching people directly or becoming part of a life group. Do please join a life group. That's a great way to help others. Um, and just including single people in your, in your life if you're a single person or if you're a family, include them in your family life. Helps them to feel included. And I would just say, don't, we don't have to invite people around and treat them as a guest of honour. Invite, invite people around and just say, oh, could you, can, I, can you help to put that out? Can you do some washing up? That's great, because actually, particularly single people, love to be just welcomed as part of the family. Um, and the other practical point, I haven't really thought about this until I asked someone to write about this for a SEND magazine, don't expect a single person to alternate with hosting your family. It's, if you've got a family with children and stuff, it's very easy just to add another place setting. It's much harder for a single person to accommodate 
all your children and all your dietary requirements and everything. Um, so just maybe even consider a regular open evening um, in our household. We try to get people, you know, welcome people around on a Tuesday evening. That's just our, our sort of regular, regular slot, or you might want to do it once a month or something. Uh, it doesn't have to be a big deal. Secondly, treat other believers as your spiritual siblings, parents, and children. I remember as a single person coming to church, feeling quite anxious, you know, who am I going to sit with today? Um, let's be a church where people go up to others and say, can we sit with you today? Can you, can you come and join our family? We'd love to have, have, to, have you with us today. And my other anxiety would be, who am I going to talk to after the service? Let's not be a church which catches up with all our friends exclusively after the service. Let's be constantly on the lookout for newcomers and people on their own, ready to include them. Thirdly, involve single adults in the lives of your children. I believe that one key area of mission is with the children of our church. Just because they look cute doesn't mean that they know Jesus. Um, some research says that um, it takes seven interested Christian adults to cultivate faith in the life of a young child. Just looking at the maths, you know, parents are not enough. Um, we need others to input spiritually into the lives of our children, our children, uh, collectively. Let's give them the best chance of following Jesus themselves. So, yeah, sure, do ask single people to, to babysit, but let's do, not just babysit, let's include others in inputting, reading stories, reading Bible stories, sharing what God's doing in their lives, and so forth. Uh, if, you're, if you're a parent and you're choosing godparents, why not consider a single person? I mentioned having spiritual children earlier. You might be wondering what I was talking about. What I mean is that... Um, as adults, we can, we can adopt others within the church as spiritual children. We can be inputting into their lives. And it might be actual under-18s. It might be younger adults that we can mentor. Um, single people can still be parents. And fourthly, offer practical and emotional help. Uh, that can be a real challenge. Can't it? After a tough day... Who has a single person got to to sort of offload and listen to their difficulties? Just offering a chance to bounce ideas around if they're thinking about something new or listen to the presentation they're going to do at work. Doing things like helping with DIY, gardening, trips to the tip. I put offer, but also receive. Um, single people have lots to offer us as well. Um, let's include them. There's a few, a few sort of practical ideas. So, as we kind of come to the end of this talk, I just want to point you at a few resources. Um, this one is about hospitality. Rosaria Butterfield's written, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. Um, let's open our homes up to people within the church. This is a great book, Seven Myths About Singleness by Sam Albury. Um, curiously, I think the first chapter is Singleness is Hard, and I think the last chapter is Singleness is easy, so if you want to kind of understand what he's saying, um, but it's kind of very practical, uh, do check that one out. A nice short book with um, tackling some myths about singleness. I'd love married people to read that book. 
Redeeming singleness is much more uh, technical, but if you're interested in what I was touching on with the sort of trajectory of singleness through the Bible, that's a very interesting read, even if a bit hard going. In terms of ministries, I want to highlight a ministry called Single Friendly Church. Um, there's a good website, singlefriendlychurch.com. It's got websites for churches, for single people, for married couples, just to help our churches be really um, welcoming places. They have a five-step audit of how friendly your church is for single people. So if anyone would like to do that audit on us as a church, then come and talk to me. I'd love to, love to hear what our, our, you know, our result is. As you may know, I work for an organisation called True Freedom Trust. We minister to people who are largely long-term single because they, are, they have same-sex feelings, that biblical marriage is not open to them. Um, so a lot of our teaching and our writing and ministry is, is on the area of singleness. So do feel free to pick up some material at the back. There's some of these books to browse through and take away the, the TFT literature as well. You'd be very welcome. So where are we in our series now? We uh, have one more of these Sunday mornings to go. Um, Marissa's talked about the cafe theology, so do come tonight. If you've got questions from this morning about singleness and community, as well as all the stuff about sexuality and marriage, then do pop them in the Slido and come along. It'd be great to see you. For our final um, session in this mini-series next week, we'll be sort of expanding what we've looked at this morning on becoming a, a welcoming church. Um, and welcome and outreach is our focus but it will also be a kind of a, a bridge back into our series on mark which we're going through the rest of this term so do if you've got one of the mark booklets bring that next week final thing to say is that life groups this week will be bringing will be kind of looking at the matters we talked about last week and this week so uh, as we finish let me let me pray for us father i thank you that you love people whether they're single or married thank you that under um, the new covenant that singleness is prized and it's a wonderful signpost to that waiting for jesus in the life to come i pray that anyone who is single here today would um, would feel encouraged would feel included help us as a church family to be those who are including, welcoming, looking out for, encouraging those in the single life. Help us to, Lord, I just want to say sorry for ways which we might have inadvertently left single people out. Help us to be more sensitive to everyone, particularly those who, are on the, who might feel a bit on the edge or not included. Equip us and give us wisdom for how to be a really inclusive church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you'd like to pray um, with myself, one of the other leaders, then I'll be sort of hanging around at the back after the service. Um, thank you so much for listening, and I'm going to hand back to the ministry team, the worship team for last time of worship. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.